Hello, welcome to some Derbs Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Bango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, improvisation versus preparation in uh, tabletop GMing. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple on this podcast. We like to talk about games. And the game that uh, we have been playing a lot of when it comes to tabletop is Star Wars Edge of the Empire, the fantasy flight games uh, from the the last couple of years uh, iteration on the title with like new dice and stuff like that. If you've been listening to the podcast for the last couple of episodes, you've heard at least a little bit about it, but um, we finished our one, two, three, four, fifth episode recently. Um, And, um, and I'm in this weird position where uh, I'm pretty busy with work and, you know, I'm playing wow and doing other stuff or whatever. So I don't have a ton of time to prepare and what I did do a ton of preparation, which was the very first, uh, like the very first mission, I kind of felt like that preparation sort of backfired in a way. Um, and so then I was like, well, maybe I'll just prepare a little bit less. And so by the second session, you know, like the map was less uh, clearly defined. And there was a bunch of space that was left to kind of like theater of the mind. By the third session, I ditched the map entirely but i still had a pretty strong structure i knew what was going to happen um and where and i had i had like plot twists and characters in my head by the fourth section i had a basic structure i knew more or less the and end of the mystery story um but i wanted to or but i had um sort of left the details um up to the players for how that mystery kind of like unfolded by sort of reacting to them. And basically last session, which was the fifth session, I think, uh, I basically did it entirely off the cuff. I just had a very, very basic understanding of like, this is the world. It's a famous star Wars world, which I know has some history. So I can talk about that history, but like everything else we can just kind of like, I can just wing it essentially. Um, so I'm kind of in this weird situation where I have slowly over the course of the, the last couple of sessions, like adopted more and more of, of an improv approach to our, uh, our gameplay in edge of the empire. Um, and I think part of the, the game getting better over time, like, I feel like we are, uh, like we understand the system. And so the sessions are getting kind of cleaner. There's a little less like, oh, wait, ah, what what dice do I roll? Hmm. You know, there's always a little bit of that, you know, but uh, we are decreasing that amount of time spent on kind of just like rulesy stuff. Um, but I also feel like as the sessions have gotten more improv uh, they have also gotten kind of like better um, by being able to be more reactive and uh, like – adaptational and in a way i think it has suited the like the the way players deal with sort of an improv story or session uh seems to be different than the way they deal with like a prepared one so that's kind of where i that's kind of where i'm at when it comes to sort of uh improv in the way that we have been practically playing edge of the empire yeah um so i think i think most of that is is kind of spot on i think there's there's a couple different things here uh, first, I will say that the last session started out a little bit slower. It was great once it got rolling, but I, I do think it was lagging at the beginning. And I don't, I don't think yeah. that's entirely on you. I think there's kind of like, you know, I felt like I was driving the party a lot, which I don't like doing. But like, it just felt like people didn't have a lot of options, which I think 
is good if you've got at least one player who wants to kind of come up with thoughtful situations. But I feel like a lot of people were like kind of like looking for hooks that didn't seem to be there as much. Um, and once they kind of like got felt out, we kind of, you know, like we, we, the, the hooks got built out. I think it worked better. Does that, does that make sense? Do you think that's fair? No, I, I very much agree with that. I was, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about it where we were talking about edge of the empire. And I said that, uh, I'm actually a little depressed that I'm GMing this because I feel like I would love to play edge of the empire. Cause like part of what animates me to play tabletop role playing games, you've seen this with like all of our one shots in, in like Gen Con is I like coming up with the wacky plans, right? It's like, yeah. okay, so here's, here's what we're going to do. Right. And then you build a sort of, you know, like Rube Goldberg machine, uh, plan and it and then it all comes crumbling down because of whatever else and so in a certain sense i'm kind of gming for myself in a way because that's kind of like an expectation like or the expectation i have of the players in a way uh but like not everybody looks exactly like me or plays these kinds of games so sometimes they need like a little bit more it feels like a lot of the time this also seemed to happen in the session before that with the student um where people kind of skim over details for a while until they find one that they're like oh interesting cool let's do this do you know yeah. what i mean yeah no I, I absolutely um i i, I think there's kind of like the nature of the beast also i think you know you've, you've got a party that's basically been trained on D, right which is a little bit yeah. especially when you're playing a published adventure it's a little bit more like that um uh, it, it's a little bit more um uh like kind of like set and not only that but like there are and I, I don't think that it's been particularly bad for our party so far in Star Wars. But if you've got a player who, like, like basically a crunch player, right, like a uh, and like a combat player, like that's not as like it's not as, as much the focus in this game. And so mm-hmm. um, you're basically pushing them to stretch muscles that they don't usually do. Um, and there are ways to kind of like, like you know, uh, how do I want to put this? Like, like, like poke those people to get them to 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 work better. Um, not that I'm saying that this, this is a particular problem, but like you know, Nick plays a a much quieter character. He's typically a very crunchy player, but like you know, you know, there's a Mandalorian shows up, right? Or like a you know, a maybe Mandalorian shows up, and that's like a thing to like drive towards for that character, right? Like I I have had similar experiences in the past where like maybe a player isn't as engaging as much, and so you like set something up that maybe speaks to that character a little bit more directly, and you kind of like you know tweak their yeah. You, it's bit. funny in the Star Wars games, I was always kind of thinking about computers because. Um, Zhao's character is very built for uh, like he's a slicer, so he's very, very built for like hacking. So I always had in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, well, how there's got to be like some computer stuff, right? That like um, that that he can do, and I always kind of like ideate on that pretty early, um, or I did in some of like the earlier sessions. In this one though, I didn't really think about it because I didn't really think about any of it to be honest. Um, and uh, and he quickly picked up on just sort of the general mechanics of the pod race like the oh so okay so the overall story of last night's session was um the party needs to go assassinate a warlord from this like raucous gang of space bikers right and he's upgrading his ship in a ship in an orbital shipyard but like there's a mining but it's orbiting this mining planet they don't really like the bikers because they just kind of like fuck shit up or whatever but there's also a pod race right like a pod race drag race sort of thing um and he quickly attached to that pod race drag race idea um, and like started negotiating kind of like, okay, well, how can we use the, the, the context of the drag race to get access to the warlord or whatever else? Um, 
and that ended up being the thing that kind of like hooked him. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't need to do computers this time. <laughs> like, Yeah. So I, I think part of it is one, I think Zhao is a little bit less um, attached to kind of like uh, the, the kind of D and D more as he hasn't played as much. Right. So he's, he feels like less tied there. Also, I think what he's doing and maybe, and hopefully this like rubs off on everybody else too, is that like, you don't need to be great at things to be generally successful at them in this system in particular, right? Like D&D, this is, I think, is another D&Dism, right? Like you are very good at the things that you're good at and you're maybe not so good at the things that you're not um, and, or the things that you're not specialized in, whereas this game is kind of like you're very good at the things you're specialized in, but the things that like you have some natural aptitude for um, or like trained a little bit in, you're still like good enough at to like be moderately successful in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that that's, that's powerful and kind of like letting players engage in things in, in scenarios that maybe aren't super tailored to them. Um, uh, yeah, I think that that's very true. And I like that a lot about the system. I was thinking about that the other day where it was like, it seems like there was a lot of successes in this system um, compared to like other, like even in like middling, um, you know, uh, like like middling like checks or whatever, where it's just like somebody's like doing an off roll or whatever. A lot of the time, they have a pretty good shot at succeeding at that at that check, which I do think I enjoy and I like because uh, it kind of creates a certain amount of variance um, to how the party can interface with problems. You don't always need to send your bluff guy to bluff things, right? It's better, and if you can swing it, you can swing it, right? But like. This is a game where sometimes you do enter into those sort of dramatic opportunities where it's like, well, can we do, can we accomplish the thing by being completely off the cuff with it? And the answer is sometimes yes. Like that happened at the very end of this session where the team, the crew hijack a space frigate, basically, uh, with a turbo laser battery. And they, nobody has gunnery and they fire the the guns on the turbo laser frigate at the warlord to try and kill him and it's a very difficult shot but like they nail it and they kill the they kill the warlord with it and it's like those are the things that i want to like reward in a way like quick thinking and people making decisions on their feet and so um having the game not explicitly punish folks who are kind of like acting out of their archetype a bit is actually like super helpful i find yeah no i i i actually i I absolutely agree with that um, I think, I think part of it, I, I think maybe part of this too is that like, again, as, as we get more into it, maybe we'll fine tune a little bit more, but you also haven't been throwing a lot of like, uh, black dice onto things or like giving yeah, us a I lot of red dice. Um, um, I feel like that's something that I probably should be doing more of is just like introducing black dice, especially once I realized, um, like, I think it was Phelanor who's talking about the trait that he had or the talent that he has that like removes black dice from the pool and i was like oh my god i just don't even put black dice in the pool to begin with like i'm not even thinking about it um so i do think that yeah like that is something that uh on a technical level that i should be doing more of yeah and that's it's that's not to again throw any any shade your way it's it's like part of the uh uh, what what, how do you call it uh you know like uh, growing pains but i think it's also good kind of in a way because like you know the victory is coming not super easy but like you know like being like not super uh not not super difficult so far it means that like you can i think safely ramp up the difficulty and have it feel like you know the stakes are raising or whatever yeah um, well yeah and another thing is is that um in my head i i like the idea of these missions that you've been running having been easy and running into situations where there are harder missions that you fail more often um kind of like coming down the pike right mm. 
Like, we kind of have a little bit of a, a, a structure around, like, reputation with the different factions that are, in, that, are, that are doing stuff in the galaxy. And part of the idea is that, like, as you rep up with those factions, as, as you prove yourselves as a crew that can undertake jobs for these factions, they will entrust you with better and better jobs, right? But those jobs also have to become much more difficult uh, because, like, I can't be giving out 7,000 credits, right, like, every, every time. So it's like, okay, well, if the base level job is one where it's like, okay – you basically do it every time. Um, I mean, you guys got very close to failing yesterday, but um, you basically complete the mission every time without without uh, uh, losing too much in the process. Um, and the uh, the the rewards are smaller but pretty substantial, right? Like over time, you've racked up you know however many thousand credits, like two thousand credits or so. Um, to kind of uh, pay, you know, pay shit down or whatever. And, um, but now, like, let's say you're getting better, more advanced jobs. You're getting contacts that are deeper entrenched into the war, in, like, into the factions or whatever. Those ones, now all of a sudden, you do have to have a higher rate of failure in order for that to kind of, like, make sense on the math end. Because, like, then the answer just becomes you do the harder jobs all the time for no, with, yeah. like, with no worries. Right. No, no, absolutely. Um, and, and honestly, like, it, yeah, please don't take this the wrong way, but I think that maybe in that last session, you should have just, like, not let us get the payback for Ventor, right? Like, have that be, like, an ongoing thing that we had to deal with next session. Like, I thought that you were going to pull that on us uh, uh, towards the end of that session. Like, if you wanted yeah, to... I, to be honest, I was planning on doing it, but um, it's one of those things where I want you... You kind of thought of it. Maybe what I should I should probably not have recommended. I, I made a recommendation, which was probably incorrect. Um, yeah. But it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like uh, you... I, li I liked the idea of introducing a couple of, like, extra pieces to the puzzle. Um, like, there was sort of a small side quest of killing Big Red and dealing with Big Red as a fake Mandalorian. And there was a small side quest of making the credits back for, uh, for Ventor. Um... But, you know, uh, I also want to sort of reward uh, your ingenuity in a way. Um, that's like, fair. I guess that's part of, that, that's part of my, th my thought process when it does come to the, like, the improv versus preparedness thing. Is I kind of want to yes and things in a way. Like, this happened sense. to me with the brothel in the mission around the student. I wasn't really intending to do anything. Like, I didn't have anything along those lines. I was thinking entirely about the academy, right? And like, oh, well, here's this academy. They don't want to look into it too much. And so they're kind of stonewalling the investigation. But, like, the PCs can kind of, like, break through that and figure out what happened if they if they work on it. That, that was in my head. But you guys did that thing where you broke off and started working the other angle of, like, the sex trafficking angle. Um and I didn't want to just kind of sit there and be like, well, you know, you guessed wrong. Therefore, all the time you spent in this session is fucking wasted, right? Like, yeah, yeah. this is all that like my original thing was that it, they were out at because like I seeded that there was like an abandoned Imperial Academy or whatever. And like that was where the terrorist cell was based. And you guys were gonna have to like go deal with that or whatever. But once it became like, oh, well, we're investigating this brothel or whatever. I was like, well, she's at the brothel now. That makes sense. Um, because you don't want to outmode or sort of uh, like paper over um, the things that your your players are doing because they like they got on they like took the wrong sorts of uh, 
plot hooks, essentially. Yeah, and there are also ways to work around that too, like for for people at home, right? Like I think the way you did it was 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 perfectly fine, and you know I wouldn't have couldn't, wouldn't have told either way. But if for whatever reason, like you know, let's say the 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 point that you had built in your head hinged on it being at the Imperial Academy, the easy thing to do there would be like you know have like the guard in the brothel be like I thought I thought I saw her skulking around the old Imperial Academy or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can pass people off that way, um, like but that's like just kind of standard, kind of like you know. Um, bending the river kind of like uh, to, to back to where it needs to be type of stuff, which, which is common in, 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 I think all of these types of games. But uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that's, I think it's true that like that, that yes ending thing is, is, is pretty um, important. Um, I think there are ways to like, there, it, it's, it's about kind of like, you know, knowing, knowing when to kind of like, put some limits on it, right? Like, I, I think if you had denied us those those credits from the ship, it wouldn't have been the worst thing. Like, I think that was kind of, like, one that you could have gotten away with if you wanted to. Not that I'm saying that, that you should have or whatever, just that, that like, that's one where we could be like, well, we're kind of out of time. We need, we, we need to go, right? Um, um, I do kind of like how, like, we're building into a kind of more, like, like the sessions are slowly getting a little bit more interconnected, right? Like, um, yeah. you know, like, now we've got, you know, Sheriff Wiley and Big Red is kind of like things out in the out in the world. Also, like the the hut sold us bad spice, right? So, like you know, that's another thread to pull on, right? And they're they're not things that necessarily need to come up every episode. Yeah, Phalanor really wants to wants to uh, go find the daughter again. He really hated the way that, that 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 whole thing ended, where she like killed or she pressed like the airlock thing on the person that you know. To be fair sold her into a hostage situation or whatever. Like, that does suck, and I kind of, like, understand her, like, desire for vengeance. But he and I talked about that a lot after the session. Oh, really? He was like, uh, uh, like, I just didn't, you know, I hated that she got, uh, I don't know, just, like, so, uh... His thing was that he felt like if he had had the opportunity to talk to her, he could have preserved some of her innocence. But, like, the thing where at the end she's like, fuck it, I'm joining Black Sun, right? Like, is this kind of, like, I am tossing these political aspirations and morals out the window because of this trauma that happened to me. And, like, that was very tragic. And I like the, that, that detail, you know? Like, I mean, that, that again, was also a very off-the-cuff sort of thing. Um, well, I always knew that she wanted to kill him. That was, like, my... When I, when I envisioned this whole thing, I was like, and, like, the final thing is she wants to shoot this guy who sold her out, right? Whatever his name was. I don't even remember. Um, but uh, but I do I do like that, too. It, it kind of sucks in a way because, like, I wanted to build the game so that it could have a lot of different people. But, like, if somebody misses a session, it's not a big deal, right? Um, so I, I am very wary of kind of structuring things. You know, like, the Hell's Rebels was sort of like this, where it had very deep, thick continuity, and if you were out a week, you could lose a lot of the thread, which was not great. Um, but I do think that that's obviously rewarding for players who do stick around and are getting all of the small sort of references and see all of the cause, like, the whole chain of cause and effect or whatever. Um, but this is kind of, like, the opposite. But I, the, the thing I enjoy about it is that it seems very personal, right? Like, where you guys have chosen things that you specifically care about, right? It is not that the whole party needs to understand Big Red. It is Nick needs to understand yeah. Big Red. That is his guy that he is like, I'm going after you for being a fake Mandalorian. Um, it is not, you know, like the whole party is worried about uh, 
Trinity Harden, it is Ark who is specifically like that left that he it left him in a in a shit place, and he wants to and he wants to fix it kind of thing. Um, so I definitely like that stuff. Well, something that I've been thinking about actually is doing kind of like. Uh, the the first time I thought of this was when loyal was when obligation triggered and I was like oh god, what do I do, you know? Because like that obligation triggered the first time in a session that I had done pretty deep preparation for, um, and I kind of realized that uh, like I might need to change up my you know like I might need to kind of like change up my approach to some of these things if I'm going to have to kind of like deal with obligation on the fly. But part of me thinks that maybe the, the appropriate answer is to just kind of like use the obligation role as something of a, like a trigger that can get into something that's a little bit more um, like personal and specific. Um, it feels weird to like wrap up someone's obligation to like introduce a situation where like, okay, well now you're going to go do this mission for somebody and you loot and all of your obligation is gone. Um, but it's, it sort of seems like that that's what the system wants from me, in a way. Yeah, I, I think that's partially true. I also think that, like, you know, some of the more ob- open-ended obligation things, right? Like, Nick's obligation is, like, something just, like, vaguely about the Mandalorians, right? Like, it's it's not necessarily a specific thing. It's like – and, like, Big Red can be a manifestation of that without – and, you know, like, you know, that, like, improves his standing with his clan or whatever. But it doesn't, like, necessarily, like, close it off entirely. Um, yeah. I'm reminded of uh, – there's this thing in – I think it's Burning Wheel um, where, like, you have similar kinds of uh, kinds of goals that you need to achieve. And, like, there are, like, goals that, like, are, like – that you can never solve. and they, But, like, you you get, like, some mechanical reward for tapping into them. Or, like, you, you can use them as, like, a bonus. But so you, like – you can tap it pretty consistently. But you can never get, like, that sweet completion bonus, which has, like, an, its own reward. So things like that, right? Like, I feel like if – somebody wraps up an obligation, they should be, like, looking – or, like, they should be looking and maybe you should be looking to kind of, like, introduce it as, like, another piece of obligation to put put back on them. Yeah, right? no, I, I was feeling that. That was exactly what I felt was I, – I was originally, like, okay, like, Mango's going to f- deal with Big Red. But then I got it in my head that, like, well, maybe I can introduce him as a piece of obligation. Part of it is that, like, I felt the – the Beskar, like the special Mandalorian armor, was a little too high caliber right. a reward for you guys at this at this point. Um, and I was like, "Well, maybe he dies in the crash." But like, I have such a good setup. Um, so then, then uh, that's when I was kind of like, "Okay, he's gonna like get away, and he's gonna become a piece of obligation." And now I feel I would feel a little bit better, right? Like, imagine Nick wraps up his other obligation, right? Or someone wraps up their ob- other obligation. If you guys are picking up more obligation, it feels good, kind of uh, tagging some of it off and kind of saying like, "Okay, this this thing is wrapped up." Yeah, and like I, I'm sure you've thought about stuff like this, but there are also ways to kind of like pull that out too, right? Like you know. We get the armor, but it's banged up or like, you know, it's fitted to Big Red and Argus yeah, is not yeah. Big Red, right? And so like we need to go find like his Mandalorian Smith to go hammer it into and she's going to want like, you know, she's going to be like, well, you can't keep all of this because like, you know, you have to tie some back to the clan. And so we have to go find more, you know, like like there are a bunch of ways to, to, to stretch that out. Um, I also think that like maybe the way, right way to do this is to like like spin up a bunch of these threads and just kind of like let them spin up where they were. And if they kind of wither and die, it's not the end of the world, right? Like it's not the end of the world if you don't close off every thread, but like now you have a big pool of things so that like if an obligation triggers, you can like pluck one of those and like, inst- and like, you know, 
bend it back into the story if need be, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. uh, and try and try and like pull things that way. Um, and I also think that helps make the world feel more interconnected. I, I, I think that like part of the problem too, is that like, because we're not interfacing with a lot of our backstory obligations in like a, a super meaningful way. Right. And this is for like the people who have like specific backstory obligation. Um, at least we haven't yet. It doesn't feel quite as real, but like, I think you just need like one good kind of like a moment where that like pulls back into the game. Um, and like, it's a yeah, threat like we have to deal with. The second that you get a good obligation for the mission and it's like, oh, I have the perfect spot for like this guy to show up or whatever. Yeah. I feel like that would make a lot of sense. And it becomes part of the, the game world essentially, right? Like, it, like you know, it, be, it becomes one of those like threads that are more real instead of kind of like theoretical is the guess the way I'd put it. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I feel that. I feel that quite a bit. Something, so from a player perspective, oh, oh, I'm sorry, you, you go first. Yeah, so I, something I wanted to also highlight about kind of like your ability to improv this, and I think this is really important, right? Because like I've definitely been in sessions that were tried to like that were tried to be improv, it just kind of didn't work. I think something that you pointed out there, which is that like we did a we did a mission on a known Star Wars planet that you knew the history of, and that's basically like all of that world building stuff is kind of already built in for you, and so you can just kind of like pull on that without having to kind of make it up yourself. I think that's very key to making the game very improbable. I think this, like, works really well in, like, established worlds that um, the GM knows and also that, like, the players kind of have, like, a, a good sense of, right? Yeah. Like, like I think Forgotten Realms would be a good example of this. I think Star Wars works better because it's, like, there's, like, a lot that's, like, defined but also a lot that's kind of undefined but, like, keeping things, right? It's like, honestly kind of funny because one of the things is that I was, like, I'm not going to set my stuff on the big worlds right like mustafar and tatooine right you know what i mean but i actually kind of think that might be incorrect my my initial thought was i was like okay well like i'll put the contacts on those worlds so like people can go and get that small thrill of like oh i'm going to jabba's palace you know or whatever but like it's not a a really material part of like the mechanics of the story um but i've almost kind of come around on that at this point and part of me wants to just be like you know what fuck it this shit is on yavin 4 bitches let's go like you know that kind of a thing I think I think it's good that like a lot of them aren't, and I also think that like having kind of these like medium importance planets in there, right, is good for like the people that know the people that have the good lore, deep lore, but also like they're usually usually like less defined, right? Like if you go to Tatooine and we don't go to Maz Eisley, it's just kind of like well, it's just kind of like a desert planet, right? Like you know, um, and not that we need to go to Maz Eisley, but like it, you kind of like lose the kind of benefit there then. But like if you go to like um, Say, uh, uh, I I can't think of one off the top. Like they, that world in, say, uh, Rise of Skywalker with like the dancing people, right? Like you know, oh yeah, whatever world that was. Yeah, but like you, like there's like not a lot there other than like they have this big dancing thing, right? And like maybe this isn't the greatest example. It's the best one that came, that came to mind. But like you can, you can do like you you have like you know people have that in their heads like what approximately that is, um. And then they can, and then we can go and like explore the rest of that planet without it being without being disappointed that we're not super tied to like the established lore, but like still having that touchstone so that we all kind of like have a good mental mental visual image, right? Like, yeah. My my other thing with this is that I'm thinking a lot about um, the ways in which the world part part of the other thing is that I wanted to set it in a place where I had a lot of control over kind of like the continuity of the of like the overarching galaxy. So like we've time skipped a little two years after return of the Jedi. And part of the, I think 
what makes it cool is that like even if you do end up in Moss Eisley, it's not the Moss Eisley of a New Hope by definition because it has been years and now this place is different because of like the actions of the galaxy, right? If you go to Hoth, you are now going to a rebel base that was abandoned in a, you know, a mass evacuation after the attack. You're not going to Hoth when Princess Leia is there. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, no, um, absolutely. And so I think that that stuff also kind of like helps out. There's also, a, there's a certain amount of like respect of like the continuity that I want to give. Like we haven't talked at all about well, what is Luke Skywalker doing, right? Like, what is, you know, Leia Organa doing? Um, but it's it's definitely, like, something that uh, you want to be able to... Inf- you want to be able to interface with the continuity of the, of, the, of the world, of the galaxy, right? Without necessarily interfacing with the continuity of the direct stories themselves. Yeah, no, that that, def- that definitely makes sense, right? Like you want maybe some like, like you you want to be able to like touch on that, like pluck that string if if necessary. But like, um, I think most of that string is already plucked in this current setting, right? Like it's, you know the destruction of the second Death Star and the that you know the the fledgling New Republic. Um, I think that 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 it kind of reverberates in the right way, and I'm sure that like you know, um things will eventually, like, you know, like, we, we might, like, run into something, right? Like, Dash Rendar, I think, was a nice touch. Um, I actually hadn't realized that Dash Rendar wasn't, like, for whatever reason, like, I knew, like, I know Dash Rendar's from, originally from... Um, the N64 uh, game, that's right. Yeah, Edge of the Empire, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually tempted at one point to just, like, say Wampa Stampa to him, which I don't know if you know what that is, but that's, like, the cheat code for, like, the original, the, like, the, the N64 oh. game. I, I played a ton of that original n64 game but i did not know the cheap the cheat code <laughs> yeah uh it was it was like i don't remember why i i knew this so well but like i still remember it's like you name your character like wampa double underscore stampa and like that like unlocks the cheat menu and then you have to put in a bunch of stuff to actually this this is like weird trivium but like i thought that was you know like that's like a nice touch right like that you can see these characters that like you know at least some of us know right um yeah yeah like, most of those characters are from some aspect of like the lore that I could that I could like find or think of. Some of them not. Like I don't think Frax is. Um, Graz the Hunter exists as a minor character that I found on Wikipedia for Black Sun. But like Tycho Chelchu is a uh, like he's a member of Rogue Squadron, right? And if you know all those were Rogue Squadron books with like Wedge Antilles or whatever, like Tycho Tycho, I might actually be his name. I can't remember. Like he's there, and he is the guy that you will take a New Republic mission from. Um, or you know, I mean, like Alpha Seventeen. I love Alpha Seventeen. I I have a I have a huge hard on for these fucking Arc Troopers, dude. Um, <laughs> Alpha Seventeen is uh, you know he's from one of the Clone Wars comics that like i read as a kid and so i was just like oh yeah hell yeah we got to make alpha 17 one of the like one of the contacts or whatever yeah no uh, uh, absolutely but yeah like like this kind of like the dressing of star wars makes improving like super super viable i guess is the way to put it mm-hmm. um that's that's actually very fair i feel like it is i don't want to say harder it, because I do, I actually think it is more so different because like players kind of walk in with like a different attitude towards it. Like imagine we're all sort of in like Pathfinder and we're in, um, and we're in a very kind of like improv state, but like we're not in Galarian. We're not in, you know, Forgotten Realms or whatever. 
there is a certain freedom to that too from a player perspective where you right. can say i'm from the village of you know R R red red river and in red river the firstborn son always has to go out on an adventure quest and i'm going out on all that on that adventure's quest if you are sort of like mapping out a world with your with the fellow players and with the gm or whatever that kind of thing is like very fair and so i do think that that exists in worlds that don't have the same kind of like world building basis that star wars has right uh, but i do think that it is like a fundamentally different sort of procedure in a way Sure, and, and I think at some level, like, even if you don't fill in all the details, like, the GM, like, has to do, like, some level of that world-building work, because, like, you can't, like, have an infinite flat plane, basically, right? Like, you, you need to, like, be able to answer questions, and if you're good enough at it, I think you can do it, but I think, like, having, like, like large kind of tent poles to make sure that everything fits together relatively reasonably before trying to do it off the cuffs Excuse is... You. I could put 100 miles of an infinite flat plane in my games and apparently it worked. I actually kind of shop. I was like, I was like, oh, cool. I like this idea of like pod racers, but they're drag racers, right? And then I was like, sure. I just rubbed myself into this corner where there's fucking nothing going on. Like it is just like one giant big flat desert. Uh, which ended up not being a big deal for, you know, whatever, because, like, the pod race itself and the mechanics of, like, the pod race were fine. Um, <laughs> but I did sort of worry about that. That is kind of the downside of improv because once you say it, you kind of have to stick to it, or else, like, you, you can, like, ruin the moment in a way. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I have... Honestly, I actually feel like these games and these sessions have been more immersive than, like, it might just be – it, it might be a factor of something else, right? Like, I might be diagnosing incorrectly, but, like, I think people have been very invested in the characters and in the world and in the mission or whatever in an immersive sense in a way that didn't seem true for the last couple of games that we've, like, played online. Maybe it's because we're playing for longer periods of time on the weekend rather than, like, kind of fitting it in on a weeknight. Um, where it was, it's kind of like easier to sort of like sink into the the, the fantasy stew of it all. Um, maybe it's because you know uh, it's just like a different party chemistry, right? Like uh, you and Nick are more or less mainstays, uh, but you know nobody's ever played a game with Zhao. This is fail or uh, with fail. This is Zhao's first online game. Um, you know uh maybe it's the system i don't know it could be it could be any number of things but i definitely have sort of like felt a level of immersion into the story and stakes that sometimes was not there when we were playing iron gods or when we were playing hell's rebels yeah i so i i agree with that and I've, I've got like a a little bit of insight into this and i don't know how much this holds for the other players but this is like a very weird thing that like I, i've been so i for a long time i have preferred to play in person over over online um and this is just kind of like very like kind of fundamental thing where like i have trouble not like looking at my second monitor and like browsing the internet right which i don't have that problem in person for whatever reason i, I guess just kind of like being around the table makes it easier to kind of like maybe like look at other people and kind of like engage with it i have found with this game the thing that, that has been working for me much better is that i'm not so I'm not at my desk staring at the monitor, right? And I think so. I think when there's a map on the monitor, you feel like you have to sit in front of your computer, and so the only other thing you can do is look at your second monitor, right? And then like look at a browser window in that. I've yeah. been like, you know, I was like variously cleaning parts of my apartment, or like I like I have like little arts and crafts things I was doing, like I was making like a 
is going to sound sound weird, but I was making like a bead bracelet when we were playing yesterday. Um, but like those are not things that enga- like that like distract me, right? Those are just things that like engage my hands and like kind of like my eyes. But like, oh when- no, I absolutely get this. Yeah, so so like my brain is still fully in the session, unlike with you know if I'm reading something on a browser, right? Like I have to like disengage my brain to like comprehend what's happening in the article, right? Like like I'll play like stupid little games when I'm like watching a podcast or something, but like that kind of setup and that ability to kind of like just do maniacal things like lets me not get distracted in a weird way, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, uh, something that I almost always do. It's funny because I also do this in like my like meetings with my company. Uh, <laughs> where I will, uh, like, I'll be on camera in these meetings, but I'll just be pacing across my apartment. If I'm at my computer, I will 100% open up Twitter, or I'll open up Discord, or whatever, and I'll immediately lose the thread of what's going on. But if I'm pacing around in my apartment with my wireless headset, I can actually sit, at, uh, not li- the opposite of sit, I can focus on the conversation without focus, without, um like getting distracted by things which has just been like hugely important and that is most of these sessions too where i am just sort of like making this stuff up on the fly i i to be honest with you my legs actually are really sore because yesterday (laughs) i basically just spent five hours right like just walking all around all around my apartment i actually think that part of it comes from um you know i used to uh before before the days of quarantine but like even when i when i was at square enix i would go on a walk like for my lunch i would go take a walk and i would like listen to a podcast or something like that um and i think it comes from that right like me listening to something in my ears as i'm walking around is a very natural uh state of affairs yeah no i i i definitely i definitely get that and it's 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 I don't know. I have this. I don't know if this is like a problem. Like that's maybe particular to to the two of us, and like you know whatever other people follow this, or like maybe yeah. something with our generation, like having smartphones or whatever, not being able to be bored or whatever. But like, um, I know that like I'll be sitting on a plane listening to a podcast, and I like like and I'll have my monitor off, but I'll like find my eyes just like watching whatever is on like the seat oh in front God. of. Oh my God! I know this feeling so. I it. Yeah. It is ridiculous to me. I don't understand why that happened. Because I, I 100% feel this. I'll be listening to an audiobook as I'm walking through, like, the the, the, airplane, the airport, as I'm doing whatever else. The second I get in that fucking plane and I sit down, I just cannot keep co- keep focused on whatever is happening in my ears. Um, it is nuts. I don't know why that happens, but I super feel that, dude. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that's that is I think in part why this game is coming together a little bit better because like like the lack of map means that I don't feel and you know this is you know just me and just you for now I I don't know maybe we can ask the other guys how, how they feel about it mm-hmm. um, but like maybe there's something else there too that like like maybe there's something deeper to that besides just kind of like the ability to like not be distracted by the browser that, that I'm, that I'm not seeing that like kind of ties into that kind of thing. But that, that, that's, that's my intuition. Um, that yeah, like, fair enough. um, but yeah. Yeah. So, uh, something that I am interested in is to what degree you feel free to kind of like influence the state of the world, uh, in that sort of way that I was kind of suggesting a little bit earlier, right? Where you kind of say like, oh, well, there's stuff going on. Because I feel like that that might be a piece of Edge of the Empire that is pretty unique to Edge of the Empire. It is a rare thing. 
okay, to, to back this up and put it from another angle, like, I think one of the reasons that the map works in Pathfinder or in D&D, or the, one of the ways, the things that I like about the map in Pathfinder and D&D, is, um, is it creates that dungeon-crawling sense of clearing through everything, checking all the nooks and crannies, that hits that kind of, like, completionist itch that you might get in a video game or whatever where you go systematically room by room and like you're in Skyrim or whatever and you see there that's the final boss that's the bottom of the cave but you want to clear the whole thing out so you go and you deal with like the other the other rooms first that's something that i think has like a a i don't know an undescribable visceral pleasure in a D&D or in a Pathfinder right right um but in this that doesn't seem to exist right and therefore, you get into these sort of situations where it's like the geography of the situation doesn't matter super much. You just kind of need to have some broad understandings of like, okay, well, the ship is parked outside the town. The town has a, a pod race place in it. The pod race place has two hangars, one on either side of the track, and the track goes for 100 miles or whatever, right? Like, you get you get some kind of like landmarky ideas of some of these things, Um and like the the rest you can kind of like fill in after the fact uh, from the player's perspective how does that feel and how does that like work for you in an improv sort of like sense so i definitely feel like kind of like that the the game is very freeform and like what we can do in terms of like in terms of like what the scene looks like i feel like at least i personally feel like i'm still asking you for like like anything say bigger than like a you know like a like a box or whatever right like i feel like if i wanted to like ad lib in like a piece of like um piece of furniture or like you know like a like maybe a little detail to lay out i'm free to do that but i also think that part of that is that um that's also something that's kind of demanded by the system right like you spend destiny points to do that and you spend advantages yeah, to do that no, so that's something i've been thinking about a lot is how like the destiny points work it feels like it that it almost discourages people from using them in a way because the destiny point system would it, it is it is kind of a cost of the destiny point system right like right. in a casual conversation you can't suggest to me hey is this person you know whatever right that might make sense in the context of the story in like that improv way because like anytime you do that hypothetically it feels like you should be spending a destiny point on it when maybe you ne- you shouldn't necessarily, and I don't know how that feeling kind of like works out. Yeah, like so. So the problem is, is if, is if I want it to be something consequential, then I probably should be spending destiny point on it, right? Like if this requires it to be like uh, one of the races that requires, say, like a methane breather, right? That way I can like you know that makes them vulnerable to like you know me me breaking it or whatever, right? That feels like a thing, a coincidence that needs me to spend a point on it. To make it meaningful, right? And if it's not meaningful, right? Like it's like you know, you know, like if it would be funny, if, say, if it was like a transition, like maybe there's sometimes that I I look for that kind of thing, um, but most of the time I'm going to ask you that since I don't have a particular need for it to be right. Like I'll ask you, you know, what race is this, this character, right? Or like you know, what is this? What does this look like? So I know what to do with. I think kind of like, I think it's just kind of hard to like. First of all, I think it's also like a an, an unflexed muscle for a lot of people, right? Um, but I think part of the way that this plays out is, you know, someone will ask, you know, like, 
is there an X, right? Like, you know, like something they're clearly looking for. And like the way to pull that is like, that's, that's the, that's like the, the, the suggestion, right? Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's probably the, the best way to do it. Cause one, it puts that ball in your court in case like, you know, you think that that's like not a good idea. Right. Cause like, I think there's like, you know, there might be a little bit of like, you know, uh, tendency to push that a little bit much, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's, it's definitely something that like, you know, the power gamer in in us wants to say, "Oh well, is there the key to the problem right here?" And it's yeah. like, "Well, no, fucking, it's it's a problem to be a problem. You can't just solve it or whatever." But like, I though I will say, I'm actually very fine. I like using destiny points for those kinds of things. Like the the thing with the key card in the vest was perfect. I was like, "This is like the quintessential use of a destiny point." Um, they needed they couldn't get access to a, to the ship like and it was a hard skullduggery check to pick the lock or whatever but they had just gotten these vests they tricked you know like they tricked the guards to give them the vests and they would be like oh well we'll 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 take your spot while you go watch the pod race or whatever and so it's just like you know getting around a tough problem with a destiny point always feels good i feel like um because it is sort of a, a reward of that kind of like level of creativity or using the favors it was another good example of that when you guys like wanted to get more information on big red and it was like oh i have we you know we pulled a job for this person and we can just give them a call phone a friend kind of thing right um, yeah no uh, absolutely that's like and and Honestly, like just this kind of on that note in particular, I like I definitely want like when we run out of favors with that person or whatever, like to be able to like call that person up and like ask them for a favor and then be like, well, you're going to have to pay somehow. Right. Like, you know, either I, know credits I, love, or- I, I was thinking about that. I think that that's a great idea. Um I will, something I've been thinking about is the two smuggler crews you guys have favors with. Because, like, it's kind of easy to, if you need to make a quick knowledge check, but nobody nobody passed it, to phone up, a, like, the black market broker. But th- having favors with a black with a smuggler crew is a much different thing. It's not like you can, like, call up whatever, you know, uh, Liad and be like, hey, so can you guys like fly out here in the next 20 minutes to like help us do this bank robbery? You know what I mean? Like it, it, it requires more planning and stuff than that. And so that's something that I've been thinking about. Like what is the best way to kind of structure missions in a way that would allow you to use that currency? Yeah. I, I think maybe the, the time frame on those missions, like on some missions need to like be stretched out at least in in-game time. Although I think maybe also at some point having like missions that like start to stretch across across multiple sessions might be the way to do that too. Um, but that's definitely like, you know, that, I, I think that's definitely a, a, a cool, cool way to push towards it. Um, but to, to your, to your original point, it just, I think like getting players to kind of embrace the agency of being able to like control the control, like the minor aspects of the plot, I guess is it, where it's just like a thing that's, it's hard to make happen. I think the kind of like coming up with the plans thing is, the the best way like the best kind of like um uh version of that and i think that it's as we play more like i know i feel i'm getting more comfortable just kind of being like like saying this is how i want it to go and as long as it's reasonable expecting it to be viable if that makes sense yeah right yeah well and one of the other things is that if a plan isn't super viable I don't feel bad about kind of stonewalling you. Like this kind of happened last session when you guys went to the mining office where it was like, I just kind of was like, 
don't don't do this. Go do the security thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. But like in character, where where the person just kind of said no, and I feel like that works out pretty fine, um, because yeah. it gives you it gives you kind of options. I also like the idea that like you guys, you know, part of it is that like it's it's information reliant like the more information you get will change you to will cause you to change up your plans like you guys abandoned the sheriff wiley plan because you more or less decided to handle it all at the pod race which was very fine obviously right it's kind of like you got shown two paths and if you wanted to go up and sneak around the shipyard or whatever like if you could have done that but you chose the pod race and that's like totally okay i think that that feels i think that that feels good right when you kind of have the here's multiple paths to complete the mission let's just commit to this one sort of thing yeah and and i don't know how much you were following around following our discussions but like that was also like us layering kind of backup plans right like Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. if we didn't pull off the thing at the pod race well then we can get on the freighter and go hunt him down on the spaceship right like or yeah i mean the the real thing that changed up your plan was that he arrived on the corvette or on the junker frigate um which I always had in my head, you know, like obviously this guy is running around with a with a junker battleship. He's not gonna, he's not just gonna be like driving a space bike kind of a thing. Um, but it was like it was an interesting sort of switch up that immediately caused you all. And this was the amazing part is that everybody changed the plan in concert, like in sync with one another in a way that didn't cause any friction. Which like that's amazing to me, right? Like, um, but. Uh, but I, I feel like that stuff works out. Uh, that stuff works out really well, and I feel I feel like good about that. You know, like the way that that kind of um, plays out when it comes to sort of like improv preparedness or whatever else, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the only thing that was like not perfect about that was like it was it's Jad who has to you know go down the track and take the long range shot because like you know Jad's the sniper, and that like means that Jad's dealing with Big Red instead of Argus, who's like the natural guy for for like the plot relevance but like i think that's like like i think all things considered like honestly i think it's almost better that we didn't resolve big red right there right like i think that it it being like a like him being a recurring villain of some sorts i think it might be is like a a better use of that if that makes sense i am a little sad that you guys i mean this is one of those things where um i read a twitter thread the other day and by the other day i mean like months ago um where one of the designers on mass effect maybe Mass Effect 2, talked about how they put so much work into the renegade version of Shepard. But, like, 90% of people never saw it because most people do one playthrough, and most people's one playthrough is Paragon, right? Right. And he talked about how, you know, it's funny because, like, the team put a lot of work into Shepard's, like, character and his interaction and, his, like, the relationships that he forms. Like, one of the things that the thread talked about that I thought was really interesting was he talked about how Renegade Shepard actually has a better relationship with certain members on the ship than Paragon Shepard does, right? Which is kind of counterintuitive, but, like, for certain of the relationships that are, like, a little bit more of a rivalry, like Ashley or whatever else, um, and kind of, like, makes... That that actually does sort of like make sense or whatever, and ha- and how they spent all this time trying to make this kind of like direct aggressive version of Shepard that's kind of a dick, um, like work as a character, but like nobody ever saw. I feel the same way about like the Double R Gang. Like I tried to make the Double R Gang like, you know, they're they're in my head they are kind of chaotic evil, but like there there are upsides to them and how they work, 
And so you guys being like, I'm never doing a fucking double R gang job. Those guys are assholes. It's like, well, I mean, that's true, but okay. Like, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean. And like, I, I think the problem here is that like, it would, it was going to have to be somebody, right? Like, um, and like, you know, I think we've got other candidates in that space too, right? Like, I think yeah. the huts are kind of on our shit list. We've got a per, per, person with like personal problems there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, like we, we, we got this problem, but like somebody was eventually going to have to be the short of the stick, right? We're not, we weren't going to be able to keep everybody happy. Yeah. Um, and like double R gang was kind of the obvious candidate, but it could have been someone else. It's just kind of like, I know it, it's, it's one of those things where like, it's hard to, I think, work with the double R gang as a concept because they are so chaotic, right? Like it would be hard for us to go like to, to trust them in a way, right? Like at yeah. least, you know, the golden armada is like money, right? Like, and we can trust them to be like loyal to money. And like the Ashen Legion is like, you know, relatively honorable at least, right? Like yeah, at like least that's at least like lawful, you know, yeah. lawful neutral or whatever. Yeah. So it's, it's, but like, that's just kind of like the, the way it breaks. And I'm sure like it could have broken another way, right? Like, you know. Yeah, I also think that like part of it is that I set out – I was like, okay, well, these different groups will have different sort of reward types. Like you're always going to get money out of the Golden Armada. Um, and the thing with the Double R Gang, right, obviously they're all mechanics and so it's starship parts. But like you guys more or less don't really care about starship stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, compared to the rest of it. Um, so it's like not only are they kind of like on a personality level sort of like – dicks uh but like the reward that they would give you or could give you is not incredibly um appetizing right um so yeah yeah that's that's definitely true i, the, I think the, part the of thing that i like about the double r gang uh i like if it if this is one of those situations where if it was me i would love to do these double r gang missions is their missions are just like listen i fuck do, go do it i don't care how you know just figure it out Right, and they feel very open ended in a way that I feel is like both on brand, right, and kind of like in character. Like it's you're a bunch of bikers are not going to micromanage the way that you do your job, obviously. Um, uh, but like the idea that it's just like, oh, hey, there's a ship, it's passing through our space. Figure out a way to fuck with it, please. Like that, that would that's a very enticing setup for somebody like me. Yeah, I, I think maybe part of this too is that there's always a target, right? And there's very few targets like – like maybe if the double R gang hired us to like fuck with the huts, that would make sense. But like – um, or like, you know, like I like because the target's always another faction, it's hard to have another faction that like is worse than the double R – that you'd rather offend yeah, than yeah, the double yeah. R you'd gang. You'd rather piss off than the double R gang for sure. Yeah. Um. Uh, and like I think that there's like room for like there's room for some of that right like like I, I think that like you could make a case right like you you did a great job of making the villains in the student mission being the new republic in a way that like made them very hateable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually felt a little weird about that. I was I, I I had a conversation with Rachel where I was like I feel like it's it's not believable right that like the rebellion would do this even though it's like technically true that like the rebellion are a terrorist organization um them could uh, to be clear you know their interaction wasn't quite like sex trafficking um but like yes they found a prominent person that they could use as a hostage to blackmail information out of black sun and they were willing to imprison this person 
and you know uh you just use them as a pawn to get there and i was like boy is that a little too dark for for you know someone allied with the new republic i don't know maybe <laughs> yeah i mean but this is kind of like the the deep space diner or maybe, maybe the 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 rogue one kind of um yeah, yeah. version kind of, of this. like uh, what 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 is the rogue one guy's name i can't remember cassian andor in the in the very first thing he he talks to a guy and then he shoots him and it's like that's the that's the rebellion in a way that that you're dealing with here. Yeah, the the, the dirty underside, so that the you know the people who get their hands dirty, so that the heroes can be can be big damn heroes, right? And like you know, I think part of that is like you know, like well, I don't think any of us expect that like you know that group was officially sanctioned by like Leia Organa, right? Like it's probably like yeah. you know, you know, an overzealous group that's associated, right? Like, um, and I think that that's like super believable. I think that's also part of the problem here too is that like the smaller groups that we're dealing with have less opportunity to be independent of like, like, you know, like the big, you know, the empire, the new Republic, the huts, um, like these all feel like they could have like sub factions that are working against the interest. And I think that this actually may, might apply to the double R gang as well. Right. Like I could see a double R gang mission where the target is the double R gang because it's two like subgroups, Fighting oh each yeah, other for no, dominance. for sure. That's definitely true. The, my thing with the Double R Gang is they're kind of like uh, I think of them as horde armies, kind of like like the Warriors of Chaos in Total War or the uh, the Khanate in Stellaris or whatever. Where it's like when they have territory and they like take planets, but like when the fleet leaves the system, they don't stick around, right? Like the the system just gets to do what it wants. Um, I th- maybe maybe part of it is that like I feel like this is the first time you guys are really interfacing with the Double R Gang in a material way. Um, yeah, cause... and so that affects things, right? Like you are specifically on a planet where they are going around and fucking shit up, which is kind of the opposite. That's a very like atypical scenario, right, for the Double R Gang. Typically, they're they leave their planets alone and they are actually kind of weirdly benevolent rulers by version of just being absent and letting systems to govern themselves. Um, but you know, uh, you just kind of happen to run into a situation where that wasn't the case. Yeah. I mean, I, some, some, some version of it's always going to be like they're, they're around and they mostly let people be, but then they like, like take stuff, right? Like they like, you know, tax without providing anything, but like the tax, like the, that at least gives you independence type of deal. Yeah. Um, Kind of like uh, it's a little bit like uh, the calls, like Call Drogo, the Dothraki in um, yeah uh, Game of Thrones lore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my thought was like uh, like th- this is like like you know Buddy's favorite Seven Samurai setup, right? Like they come and they like take your shit and maybe kill some people, but like most of the year you're alone. It's just like a matter of like how how destructive they are when they show up. It was very hard when I placed this mission on Eridus for it not to be a Seven Samurai setup because of, like, the history of Eridus, which I remember from a very old comic book um, that I had read um, that ta- that talks about, like, the Iron Tower and, like, this race of people. I think they were called Chubits. Um, and they basically all died or whatever, but, like, Luke Skywalker shows up and he disables the Iron Tower to, like, save their lives or whatever. My initial thought was I was like, oh, well, clearly they're going to, you know the the double r gang activate the iron tower and now you need to like whatever else but then i was like nobody don't 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 be so fucking lame like <laughs> we've all done the seven samurai bit before <laughs> <sighs> but yeah um yeah no it's 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 definitely been a lot of fun and i think that 
I think the game is 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 really well built for improving, and I think that's like a big part of it, right? Like nothing's like super ticky tacky in terms of like even like the talents aren't like super ticky tacky in terms of what you do in combat. Like they're just kind of like broadly applicable bonuses. Yeah, I almost feel bad. If like if, like imagine you're a Pathfinder DM and you're listening to this. Like, ooh, how do I make my Pathfinder game more improv-y? Boy, we do not have a ton of great options for you, but like, because I feel like Pathfinder has to have a map. You know what I mean? Like, it has to have. Uh, uh, so, so this is something I was thinking about. Like, I find that like roll twenty maps, like, like definitely lock this stuff in more than like say like a play mat that have like scribbles on them, right? And like, I feel like the scribbles don't work as well on the roll twenty maps, right? Like, you yeah, it just given, feels like weirdly cheap in a way. Yeah, but like the battle mat with like some marker marks on it doesn't feel that way, um, and like it doesn't have to be like super detailed. It just needs to be, or like it doesn't need to be. Like it needs to have enough detail that you get what you're getting at it feels right. And then I feel also like it's like, well, you know, there's no there's there's no like you know, there's 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 no details on the table, but like maybe I can suggest that there's like a cup on it, right? Because this is like a tavern or whatever. Right? Or like those pieces in between where you really are kind of just like doing theater of the mind, I think are good places to kind of like bring in some of this stuff. And I think that this, this, like, I've noticed that this kind of happens, right? Like there's like in Pathfinder and D and D there's like that, that mode of play, there's like the combat mode of play. And then there's kind of like the in-between bits where you're doing, um, RP essentially. Right. I think those kind of like allow this kind of, uh, improvisation to happen. I think that the key difference there is that you need to have kind of hooks and information present as kind of the driving force, if that makes sense, right? Because, like, you are usually working towards a set goal um, in Pathfinder and D&D, but you, there, there's space in the middle there to let this improvisation happen. It, it can't be yeah. quite as wide open, I think, as the Star Wars lets us do, um, but it can it, it can be there. And maybe there's also a case for, like, you are able to do that a little bit more. You just need to, like, time your sessions well, right? So that, like, you know, if the players come up with, like, an, an off-the-wall plan, you've got, like, a session in between to kind of map out those those harder points in between, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely I definitely get that. I definitely get where you're coming from. Um, uh, but I think, like, having a relatively well... Like, like, if, as a Pathfinder GM, you want to kind of implement some of these things, like, have, like, a well-enough-defined world that, like, you can pull elements out, I think... At whim. I think that's like the, the best. Like, this is the equivalent of having a Star Wars world, right? Like, if somebody asks you a question, you can give them like a little blurb without having to think of it and having it be obvious that you're making it up on the spot. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. I, 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 I guess I feel all of that. I think in general, I have been a little too prepared in, in, and I'm, the relaxing of those sorts of restrictions, especially with regards to the map, has has yielded some real dividends. Um, so I would recommend folks think about it that way. I guess. Yeah. Um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to it. Yeah, I, I think I think a, like I we've talked about this before, but I think the adventure path like system like really locks up a lot of this because they're meant to be played through. Um, uh, I have just kind of in in kind of the way I've been like thinking about game stuff is that I feel like the adventure path is not a style that I'm particularly fond of. 
Um, you know, I actually, I also feel that way. I think we kind of, it was almost a crutch in a way um, that uh, that we may have sort of like grown out of. Um, yeah. As players I, and GMs. I almost feel like it's like an unhappy medium between like a dungeon crawl and like a true, like a true kind of uh, like uh, artist, artisan, artisanally crafted game. Uh, to, to to be a little bit pompous about it, but like you know, the dungeon crawl, if it's all planned out, at least all you know what you're doing is just kind of like running mechanics and like grinding on it, which is fun in its own way. Um, whereas like the 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 adventure path has like like some crunchy bits, but like not enough freedom to like feel like super satisfying. And not that it's bad; it's just like not exactly what I want um, if I'm looking for either a very crunchy experience or a very kind of RP heavy experience. Um. But you know, that's uh, that's that. Do you do you have anything else you want to touch on this before we move into our weeks? No, I feel like we covered we ba- we basically covered it. Yeah, um, and I guess it's two weeks because we didn't record last week because uh, we were busy, lazy, whatever. Um, how was your last two weeks? How was my last two weeks? That's a good question. I've been playing a lot of Killing Floor Two and a lot of Total War Warhammer. Those are my those are my like big games, uh, I guess, at the moment. Um, once I got my Brutosaur in WoW, the 5 million gold mount, I more or less, like, immediately abandoned, <laughs> um, my, uh, I, I immediately abandoned playing the game, which is pretty typical, um, of, of how I interface with WoW. Uh, to be clear, I am still, like, getting onto raid and doing, and doing, like, small stuff, but I'm not kind of doing the same kind of, like, uh, extensive level of content. Whereas uh, I've been picking up a lot of Killing Floor 2 just because we got a bunch of our WoW friends into it. And then over the last week, um, they added a new map, some new content. Um, there's a seasonal event going on with like double experience and stuff like that. And really just kind of like exploring, um, like exploring that game and seeing uh, kind of everything that it has to offer is pretty, is pretty fun and pretty engaging. Um, one of the things about Killing Floor that I had no idea about, but I think is incredibly cool, is... Uh, okay, okay, so we've been playing Normal, right? Um, but Normal has gotten pretty easy, like Normal Survivals. Uh, typically, there there's four lengths. You can do short, medium, or long, which is four waves, seven waves, ten waves. Um, and you can do Normal, Hard, Suicidal, Hell on Earth, which are the four difficulties, right? Um... Hard is legitimately pretty hard for, like, us as a group because we don't really, like, know the maps incredibly well. And so, like, you know, like, the decisions that we're making aren't necessarily, like, super amazing um, about how, about our placement and stuff like that. Like, you know, people aren't great at classes, all the, all the other sorts of things. So, like, hard we were doing every kind of, like, once in a while, but most of the time we we're playing on, like, normal. Um, but then we discovered endless mode, which is sort of... A, which is a scaling mode where the waves are just until you lose, right? Every couple of waves, every five waves, you have a boss fight. Then the boss fight gets, like, harder and harder, obviously, at, like, 5, 10, 15, 20. Um, and then certain waves will have almost, like, Mythic Plus modifiers in a way. Like, one wave will be called Boom, where anytime a Zed is destroyed, they will explode in a big explosion, right? Which is useful because if you snipe a Zed from far away and it's in a big clump of other Zed, you can get this like chain reaction of explosions, which is really satisfying, but also very dangerous because if you're in melee range, you're going to be getting blown up on all the time and take a ton of damage from them like blowing up. Um, 
and stuff like that. But one of the cool things about Endless Mode is that the Zeds on Wave 1 are very straightforward and easy to deal with, and the Zeds on Wave like 15 become much harder. And what I hadn't realized is that they actually program different behaviors into the AI of the game based on that difficulty level. And I realized that this is also true for hard and suicidal. So for instance, the basic Zeds in normal will just kind of walk towards you pretty slowly, you know, but like, manageably so if you want to just like keep shooting them and keeping them all at bay you can do that and there's a lot of them obviously each each wave has like a hundred or so um so it's still like you know like engaging or whatever but one of the things that we realized in endless is that by the time that you get to put like wave 10 wave 15 or whatever those early guys that were just walking before are now like sprinting at full speed at you and so like you need a much quicker time to kill on them individually before they reach you um and that kind of thing I has, I have found really cool and engaging. It's maybe one of the first instances of like um you know an AI PVE kind kind of game that gets like smarter over time in a way. In the way that we we've talked about like with Total War or with Civilization, right? The as you ramp up the difficulty, typically the AI just gets cheats in a way, just gets like bonuses. Um, this is one where no, their tactics change and they get better at doing their job, and they do get you know they do get more health. Players do a little bit more, a little bit less damage or whatever. Um, but the big thing that makes it harder as you get up in their difficulty is the behavior of the enemies changes to be more dangerous, which I thought was just like very cool. Uh, and very engaging, and um, yeah, I don't know, man. Killing Floor Two is is a ton of fun. Um, so, well, yeah, I have downloaded it. So at some point we will play, and we will do a, a fuller episode on that. Yeah, for um, sure, for sure. Kind of to to see that in the mirror. Um, I have been playing some Warzone again. They just dropped season four. Um, they've released some uh, improvement or some some differences. They changed the Gulag to be automatic weapons instead of pistols, which is a change that I'm not a super fan of. But it's like you know that's like whatever. Um, that's interesting. Uh, Why did they make that change? Do you know? Um, I think just to 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 change it up, right? Like it, it every you enter the gulag with, um, every each side has the same weapon, uh, or like you know both people in the gulag have the same weapon, so it's not like the end of the world either way, if that makes sense. Um, it just kind of, like I, I'm not exactly sure why I changed it. Maybe just because like the pistols don't play like the ARs, and the ARs are like the way that most of the game plays. Um, I have seen my uh my win rate drop significantly. Um, in the gulag because of that, but um, uh, I like I said I preferred the old one, and you know maybe it's just an experiment that gets reverted at some point. But it's it's definitely uh, neat. They've done some other cool things too, like every once in a while there'll be a thing called a jailbreak where everybody who's dead will come back. Um, that's still in the game, which is better for like squatty games, but like um, that's like a weird new thing that I think is pretty fun. That um, actually sounds really very. That sounds very cool. Um, and, but it's like not, not every game. It's like super occasional. Um, they've added a couple of spicy things like that. There are like supply ch- planes now that it, like similarly will occasionally appear and like you can shoot them down and get loot out of them. Um, overall though, I think the core loop there remains the same. Um, I think part of the, I think p- part of the thing that makes it less great um, is that like once you get your loadout drop, there's like not a ton of things to drive conflict. And I think some of these changes have been built to kind of drive more conflict. Um, 
uh, part of this is that like there's this new mission type. Um, you pick up missions on the map, which is one of these drivers of conflict. But the new one is you pick one up, and if uh, you survive, uh, like you survive, you get target painted on you. And if you survive for three minutes, you get a bunch of money like usual. But you also bring back your entire team. Um, but like that also puts like a big target on your head, right? And it's very profitable to go kill somebody who's who's doing that. So. Um, it's dangerous, but like it's supposed to, it's it's supposed to be some good risk reward. I have I actually haven't seen I haven't we haven't tried to use it yet, so I need to like for its full purpose. Like people also pick them up early because it gives you decent cash, and people generally aren't hunting that early. Um, but like that's a that's a neat thing. I think they're they're doing the right thing and trying to drive conflict a little bit more towards the end because um, the mid game can be kind of kind of uh, sloppy and, and and boring. Yeah, um, sure. Um, but that's like kind of a, like a staple of these games in some ways, right? Um, uh, what else? Uh, uh, but I think it's—I still think it's fun. Um, uh, but I'm—I'm uh, I'm interested to see what you think because, likewise, you have downloaded. Uh, I have finally—I have finally done it, and I finally downloaded Warzone, and we're gonna—and we're gonna play some, and uh, I'll have more complete thoughts, uh, I suppose, on the back end of yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, otherwise I have actually not played a ton of, ton of games. I've, uh, I've been doing some audio book listening, uh, you know, from Audible who does not sponsor us, but if they would like to feel free to reach out. Um, but, uh, I have been re-listening to, I listened to, uh, the moon is a harsh mistress, which is pretty great. Um, it's, it's one of those books where you like listen to it and you like, be like, wait, this was written in the '60s. There's like so much of this that are like that is like predictive, and also so much of it that so much of it that is not. Um, the other ones that I've been listening through to is uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and The Rush of the End of the Universe. I have not listened to the, the third and fourth books yet, um, the, any of the rest of the books yet. But um, it's one of those things where like I love the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I hadn't read it in a while, and I'm sitting down listening, and they're describing the guide as like. You know, the titular guide is like this black box that like has all sorts of information on the universe in it. Kind of scrolls by on the screen. It's like, wait, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is basically a smartphone, like a worse smartphone because it's just like the part that like like you know it's just like Wikipedia. It's just like uh, yeah, it's a smartphone connected to Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah, um, without the phone part, right? Like, um, and it's kind of like, huh, that's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty nuts. Why didn't I notice that? And then like, oh wait, the first time I read this. Smartphones weren't a thing yet, and then I felt old. Um, and uh, it's, but it's still, it's still a great listen, great read. Um, uh, everything else, like I, I've just been kind of like meandering around various podcasts. Like I picked um, "Welcome to Night Vale" as a podcast again. Um, I hadn't listened to it in a long time, so I'm starting from the beginning. Um, it's like this vaguely horror themed. So. Have you have you heard of Welcome to the Night Vale, buddy? Yeah, so I, I I have a good understanding of Welcome to the Night Vale without ever having like listened to it because uh, of like YouTube videos. Like Idea Channel did a big video on on Welcome to the Night Vale once, and like I've watched a couple of the YouTube videos that reference it because like the core thing about Welcome to the Night Vale is that like it's a very it's supposed to be like a very mundane podcast in a way. Um, but that has all of these spooky undertones to it, right? Like, oh, there's all this spooky shit that's, like, going up. It's all, like, subtext there or whatever, like, implied. And so how that, it, like, adds to the horror. Um, it's the not that much that, – that, that might be selling it a little bit too much because it's not that much subtext, right? Like, 
like so the 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 frame is that this is like it's a broadcast from like almost like a, like a local news station it feels kind of npr-ish from this town in the middle of like uh you know the american southwest it's like tiny little town but like um parts of it are like supernatural right but like and it's not in subtle ways right it's like you know like uh the second episode i listened to the first two episodes this morning but like this, the second episode is like uh you know the glowing cloud has uh has 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 approached the town um and there has been at least one death attributed to it uh and carlos the scientist has warned us all to stay inside but i say if we all stayed inside for every for every event that at least one death could be attributed to nothing would ever be accomplished which is one weirdly appropriate for this moment in history yeah. <laughs> yeah um but like it, it's clear that like a lot of this stuff like the, the the way that it plays out is that a lot of this stuff is no, so normalized now that like people have ceased to notice how weird it is like that's like like that's like the shtick right like you know like the glowing cloud is raining corpses of small animals make sure to bring an umbrella that can handle animals of up to 10 pounds um and you know, like that—that's the whole episode. Is like the, this kind of like this following this glowing cloud, interspersed with things like you know, like uh, the secret, like you know, when you're going outside, take note of the helicopters. The blue ones are the sheriff's secret police. They are safe. The black ones are some unnamed government agency. You probably want to avoid them. And it's just like so deadpan and so slow, and like the music is used really well. It's a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, I never got all the way through it, so I'm restarting, but you know, it's, uh, it's not insurmountable. It's 170 episodes at this point, but it's like a good oh, thing to kind of, so yeah, that's it comes out than we have. Uh, yeah, actually. Um, it comes out twice a month, which is, I think why it's a little bit slower, um, or why it's significantly slower. Uh, whereas we were, we are once a week missing some, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's uh yeah. it's it's a fun podcast. I have always I have always thought about like picking it up uh like with the more you know, it's one of the like the famous podcasts or whatever, like serial and stuff like right. that. Um those true yeah. crime podcasts are, are were always so like weirdly insurmountable for me. Um but uh, yeah, the only podcast I've listened to uh, in recent memory, because one of the things that I used to do was listen to podcasts all the time. But now that I'm not like leaving the apartment and going and doing stuff all the time, which was very normal before coronavirus, um, I'm just in a position where I'm no longer like I, it, it's no longer necessary for me to do podcasts. Like the the, the one I listened to was Tanahisi Coates and Ezra Klein did a did a podcast. Um, which I was very interested in because I like Ezra Klein's podcast and uh, I like Tana Hisikos as a, as as a writer. But like outside of that, I don't think I've listened to like a podcast in like two or three. Oh, that's not true. I've listened to a couple of the Hearthstone podcasts, but they don't really count because they're on video. They're kind of streams in a way. So apparently, this is like a, a big problem for like podcasting at large is that like people aren't listening as much um, because like they don't commute anymore. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I am an outlier. I have like increased my podcast consumption, I think, because I am uh, like I don't like when I'm in the office, I didn't listen to podcasts as much. I think I listen to podcasts at home more often. Um, and also like I have I have incorporated some things into my routines that like are podcast friendly, right? Like I am attempting to work out at home more often and that's very podcast friendly activity. Whereas before I was just kind of like, 
you know, slump into my chair and like bang some computer games until I went to sleep every night. So, um, I think, I think that's, that's helpful for that. But, uh, I, I definitely take what you mean, right? Like I'm definitely not listening to them in the car as much because I'm not in my car nearly as much, not spending nearly as much on gas, which is nice. Yeah, that, uh, is, that is that is very nice. Um, yeah, it, it is pretty interesting. Like I've been watching – like for instance, I cleared through the entirety of the boondocks, um, which uh, – which so HBO Max launched I think at the end of last month, sometime in last month. Um, and I had already had it because like I had the other HBO app and they're now the same HBO app or something. I don't really know how any of this works. Um, but uh, but anyway, it launched and I was taking a look at what was on there and I saw the Boondocks. I was like, oh, fuck, I haven't seen the Boondocks in forever. So I sat down and I actually and I like watched all the way through it. And that show, boy, it is funny. But it is also like really depressing in like the the world of today. <laughs> Cause like you know they're making fun of um, they're making fun of like the limp-wristed sort of uh, well whatever we don't want to do politics but um, and then I've also been watching intermittently Clone Wars which I have a very hard time watching um, because it feels like it's a kids show which is I know it is and I think actually w- one of the funny things about Clone Wars is this is sort of like peak Star Wars and Star Wars at its best um, like. I'm very surprised at how good I think Clone Wars is, even though I have a hard time watching it because it is like very kid friendly. Because it all it is exactly the sort of like World War Two serial type of sort of like filmmaking, TV, television making um, that Star Wars is like built on in a way. Um, and I guess I just find it like very comforting and friendly. I don't know if that's. Uh, I don't, it, like it's tough. I, I, that's it. That's that's the tweet. That's yeah. uh, that's that makes been sense. Clone Wars for me. Um, that makes a little bit of sense to me. But like um, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting about it is uh, is that the plots of these things can actually get like really complex. Like the characters are very simple, which I think makes sense for you know. Anakin is is a little bit like reckless and like a hothead, and Ahsoka is always trying to prove herself, and. Um, and then there's like a smattering of all these other Jedi, right? Like, uh, like Obi Wan is kind of like the 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 cool dad who is like disapproving of Anakin's re- recklessness, but he doesn't really do anything about it. You know, it just kind of lets it go because we got there at the end of the day. Mace Windu is just like a, a, a fucking badass like the whole time. Um, but like one of the things that's neat, neat about it is that the stories are actually kind of miniature movies in and of themselves. They tend to have three episode arcs um, where it'll be like episode one, episode two, episode three that will kind of deal with three like stages of a problem, um, which I've just found like incredibly engaging. Like the first like one episode in season two is the you know the droid the the there are plans for a new droid factory on geonosis that the the rebellion doesn't know about but they do know that there's a a republic senator who's a spy and he used to be friends with padme so the episode is padme focused where she goes and she undercovers or she uncovers that her friend is a spy and that the thing that he knew is that there's a new droid foundry on Geonosis that's pumping out battle droids. Then the next episode is Anakin and Ahsoka going to Geonosis and dealing with that droid 
foundry, right? Then the third, ep- but like, but like they and they blow up the droid foundry, but the main Geonosis guy escapes or whatever. Then the third episode is Obi Wan tracking down the thir- the the bad guy and you know picking him up the bat like the Geonosian whatever. And so like they all have these sort of like one story feeds into the other and it's just like really great and very cool um so i'm very much enjoying my time with clone wars yeah no that that sounds it sounds like a lot of fun that's the thing that i that i, that I was thinking about picking up at some point was, was going through that um now that i don't have a thousand other things i want to watch and finish at some point um but you know it's star wars you got to get into that star war mood right like you gotta yeah um maybe i can also improve my gungan accent if i watch enough star wars it is incredible to me. Jar Jar Binks is such a, not such an important character. It is, it's a very ensemble show where, like, certain episodes will focus on different people. Like, sometimes it'll be Yoda. Sometimes it'll be whoever. But, like, there are Jar Jar episodes. And they are played at <laughs> – it's funny because I know when The Clone Wars came out, right, which was, you know, 10 years after The Phantom Menace. And you would think that, like, someone would have been, like – don't put Jar Jar <laughs> But he's all over them. You know what I mean? Like, and, and he's the exact same. It is not the thing where he gets kind of like written out in Attack of the Clones and now he's like an upstanding senator from Naboo or whatever else. Like, who cares? He's just bumbling Jar Jar Binks. He gets a towel on his head this one time or like a, like a cape on him or something. And everyone is like, oh, it's the Gungan Jedi. But like he's just bumbling around and it makes it look like he uses the Force. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I, it's perfect. I don't know what else to say. Uh, all right. Well, well. B- before we wrap this up, uh, there was some video game news this week. Um, like the the PS4 had a big show, and the PC gaming show had one over the weekend. Was there anything from that 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 caught your attention that you wanted to talk you know, about? I, I want to care about the PS5, but I just PS5. Didn't. Yeah. Um. um I'm I think a, the, I'm a PC gamer at this point, and uh, it's just one of those things where I look at it and I go, I am never going to pay $700, um, which is the rumored price, but not confirmed yet, um, just for the privilege of playing, you know, the Ratchet and Clank reboot. I love Ratchet and Clank. It's one of the, my favorite games of all time. I have a copy for the PS2 sitting right behind me right this moment, but I just like... It's not my system anymore. So I'm always much more interested in uh, in stuff that's coming out on PC or doing the simul launch on Xbox and PC, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I think I think Microsoft's definitely got the right idea where like buy once, play anywhere type of stuff. Yeah. Um, that I think is, is cool. And PS4 has exclusives, but I'm not sure if they have enough to really to really push it. Um uh, also, I, mean, I think the PS5 that, looks. The Last of Us is the the not Citizen Kane. The um, uh, uh, Schindler's List. The Schindler's List Schindler's of list. gaming. Jesus Christ, that was the, that was a take that was getting really dunked on all weekend. Yeah. Um. Uh. The, it, apparently, it was the same guy that was like, you know, what if, you know, what what if this game had great combat? What if you know Dark Souls was approachable? All of this. This is God of War. It's like, come the fuck on, man, right? Like, uh, I think, uh, so I, the way I, I heard it put that I think is 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 uh, is pretty apt is like ever since Roger Ebert said that uh, that video games can't be art, every, every kind of like 
game developer has been like tripping over themselves to try and prove him wrong um, in ways that are like maybe not the best. The funny um, thing is, is that like, you know, people want to mirror in a way like the, the filmmaking of like the, the filmmaking gaming parallel. Right. Um, and gaming kind of does mirror that at this point where you have these like artsy indie games that are coming out um that are like critical darlings and like talking about you know whatever super heady serious stuff and then you have like the big blockbuster games coming out that are just kind of like shoot 'em up violence fests and it's great because violence is fun and you know who who cares but like nobody wants to accept that that is like the case they want they want the blockbuster they want the blockbuster art house game and I'm like, there are no blockbuster art house movies, even. Like, what are you like? What are you talking about? Come on, man. Well, the, like, there are some. There are some prestige ones, and we have that game, and it's Death Stranding. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, you're right. Um, but like, that's like the closest, the closest that we've 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 gotten, right? And like, I'm sure we'll get more along the way. But like, um, the other take I saw that I thought was also kind of apt is like all these like developers in the mid aughts who are like making dude bro shooters have decided as they've become, become beardy old sad men to make games about being beardy old sad men. Um, and, like, the audience just hasn't come along with them. Yeah, I mean, the uh, funny part is that I would I would go to bat for a lot of AAA games that I do think are, like, very, like, um, artistic and have a lot to say and are, like, sure. you know, they are, they are the, I don't know, what's that? I don't want to use any of the Marvel movies because I don't love them that much um but like in the, in the last jedi or something you know what i mean like you could make i could make that case about a dozen different games right starcraft 2 the you know like spec ops the line even modern modern warfare 1 i think would fall into this category which i think has a very good story um and it's just but it's just kind of like change your expectations around right like what makes a good blockbuster story is not the same thing that makes a good art house story and so i don't know i just felt like so i, I, so find, I, I find it funny i guess at this point I, I think the funny part of that is i have seen people saying that like the last of us 2 is going to be the last jedi of games for like all of like the kind of divisive reasons oh i that, have that heard I, that actually well because you know i think it, like polygon gave it a bad review that everybody was yeah. like Ooh, oh boy here it co-, you know like that kind of a thing because they were just kind of like come on guys yeah, well, so so the from from my perspective, it's like the the people that like I saw that were like already like kind of like eerie on the last of two around the leaks were like, wait, polygons going in on them? These are the people we normally vociferously differ yeah, disagree right? yeah. with. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but uh, the the other part of uh, this too is, and I think this is like kind of speaks to some of the truth of the original Roger Ebert criticism is that because. Games are definitionally a thing where you have agency. It's hard to get a lot of that artistry. And this is the same reason why I think that, like, VR movies aren't ever going to be a a, a, a huge thing. Because, like, they're just kind of, like, like not as – like, because you can't control, like, the cinematography, essentially. It, it, it's like – like, all of those things are harder to control and harder to, like, pass across. It doesn't mean it's not art. It just means it's – a different kind of art that's kind of gonna hurt comparisons and maybe like i think there is something lost there in the same way that like books are not movies in in, in that way yeah. does any of no, that make I, sense I, I super feel that um 
I think um, I think that's I think that's sort of true because like even some of those better examples that I think of, a lot of them do deal with the literal agency you have, right? Like Bioshock is about this. Uh, Spec Ops: The Line is about this. Spec Ops: The Line, like I think one of the best games uh, that has come out, and it is functionally a AAA shooter, right? Like, but like the whole point of that game is to be a brutal dressing dra- dressing down of AAA shooters. Um, and, uh, and it is all about that agency problem, right? Um, and all about kind of like the meta analysis of being, uh, of being like inside of the game. So it's not like telling you a story that you are a part of in the way that I think other games, right? Like would hit this Starcraft two, right? You don't have, you have agency in the sense that you choose how to complete your missions, but like Kerrigan and Raynor are always on the same path. And you are watching them in a way on on their path, and I think that their their stories are moving and insightful, and all the other things you know that, that you would associate with like a good story that you could make a good movie out of the bones of that StarCraft Two narrative, right? Um, but it just feels a lot rarer to get to that level um, in games that don't specifically tr- like prize choice and agency in like a direct aspect of their theming. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think it's also a thing where it's, it's hard to do those things more than once, right? Like Bioshock and Spec Ops the line do it well, but like it's almost become kind of a meme where like the kind of, you know, like, uh, like, you know, like the, the person who thinks their clever version of this is, you know, you know, here is here, here's, you know, like an innocent thing and here's a hammer, do the evil thing. no, you can't advance until you do it, and then you do it. It's like, don't you feel bad for being a bad person? I have Which seen you- that take uh, with Spec Ops. And, I, I, you know, I think Spec Ops is fair, but it is sort of a moment in time in a way. Um, right, right. But that's like, you know, Spec Ops and Bioshock get away with it because they're like, they kind of broadside you and you're not looking for it. Like, the fact that they're kind of tropey now makes them makes it worse oh yeah i absolutely agree because i i had i was i was reading tweets from a guy that i thought was i think he's a really good game developer right but he was talking about how it was like well if you're not like actually giving me the choice you're not actually commenting on the agency you're like yelling at me for making the choice but is it really a choice for me to turn off the game and the thing is is like i like i get where he's coming from and that is like technically true and i would agree with him in like the context if spec ops came out now right it would it would play a lot differently but at the time the whole point of it was that it was shining a light on all of the unconscious decisions that you would be making in these linear shooter stories right in like right, call right. of duty stories or whatever because nobody was shining that light and so um in a way it's a little, it's a little bit of the seinfeld thing right the seinfeld is unfunny thing um where they, they kind of they did it the one time and now they you know like you need something more which is a, a criticism that i have seen levied against the last of us 2 where it's like come on guys we were doing this like moral choice system shit 15 years ago like step up your game please um which to be fair i don't know the spoilers i have no idea what the context of that is that's just like the the lukewarm takes on twitter i've been reading but um yeah yeah there's there, there's a bunch of stuff I've seen there, but you know, obviously I haven't played the game. Um, and I don't know if I will play the game. Not, not, not particularly because of this, just because it's like not on my radar. I have so many other games. Yeah. I, I mean, play. You, you had a good time with last of us one, right? I did. I thought, it, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty great, but I didn't like, I didn't think it was so great that it needed to be followed. Like it was one of those things where like, I was always kind of wary of have it having a follow up anyway. Right. Like I thought the story was, was 
good to end where it did. Um, I just have other games I want to play. Like, it's not like a game I'm, you know, boycotting or whatever. It's just not a game that I'm particularly keen on playing right now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, did, did you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, no. All right. Well, if you'd like to reach us uh, and tell us what you think about this improv stuff that we talked about or any of the games we talked about or any of the other stuff we talked about, you can just add some dirtsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at some dirtsplaygames.com. Uh, you can please rate us and review us wherever uh, uh, wherever podcasts are found. Uh, you can donate to us a Patreon if you want. Um, I think that's everything I had. But do you have anything else you want to promote? I do have one more thing that I would love to promote and that I think you guys would really enjoy, um, which is the Steam Games Festival starts tomorrow. Um, from when you are listening to this, that might not be tomorrow, might be today, it might be yesterday. Um, on June sixteenth, Tuesday, June sixteenth. Uh, the Steam Games Festival is starting. It should have about 900 titles, so this isn't just our games at Akupara, but the two op- upcoming Akupara titles, Gone Viral and Spinch, will both be having playable de- demos that you can download on their Steam page. This is actually going to be the first time that anybody has gotten their hands on Spinch. Uh, Gone Viral has obviously been in closed beta for a very long time, so um, if you're not a member of the beta, you, this is your, your chance to check it out, um, but... If uh, if you want to see some more of Spinch, the uh, your your first chance is going to be tomorrow. There's a couple of levels that are going to be free uh, free to play in the demo. I think it's going to be only like you know three or something out of like the eighteen in the game. But um, it should be a very cool variety, and I'm sure we'll be getting lots and lots of people uh, complaining about all the times that they died. Um, that's it. That's what I wanted to promote. Yeah, well, I'm super excited for Spinch, and I can give a hearty recommendation to Gone Viral uh, for any of you out there who want to try it. So uh, that's – I okay, I think that's it then. Uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.